morning, everybody. And uh, good to see you. Welcome to River Glen. Those of you joining us online, great to have you with us. Thanks for uh, being with us. Before I get started, I want to just say thank you to all of you, to all our volunteers, to our, to our uh, staff, and to God. We had just a great Easter weekend uh, last weekend. Yeah. Wanted to just share some numbers uh, with you. We had a record attendance. We had 640 more people than we had last year. And uh, almost 3,500 total. And we had nine spontaneous baptisms. And that's just amazing. And uh, we just thank God. Uh, Way to go, everybody. And uh, we had 20 baby chickens and they all survived. Miracle. Yeah, incredible. Now today we're going to kick off a new series, brand new series called Five Easy Ways to Wreck Your Life. Over the next five weeks, we are going to learn some of the great ways to totally uh, ruin your life, uh, ruin your health, ruin your relationships, ruin your family, ruin your career, uh, ruin your future. Aren't you glad you're here uh, to hear about all this? Now, over the course of the five weeks, some of us are going to say, Ben, I don't really need any help with this. Okay, I got this on my own. Because some of us have learned some things the hard way. And then others of us are going to be alerted uh, to some things to just stay away from. And all of us are going to learn not just how to wreck our life, but what to do after you have wrecked uh, your life so that you can recover. I mean, don't we all have a list of things that we learned uh, the hard way? For example, you only put aluminum foil in the microwave one time, right? You only drink some funky smelling milk one time. Uh, Last weekend, I smashed a mirror on stage. And uh, in practice, I smashed a mirror without gloves one time. And I pulled some glass out of my hand. I'm fine, but I learned the hard way. And we're going to learn some things in in this series. And uh, it's going to be interesting because we're going to learn them from a journal of a guy who tried uh, a lot of different ways to wreck his life. I don't know if you've ever kept a journal, um, maybe a diary, maybe a journal. Maybe some of you uh, like to uh, journal. I do. I've, I've had a journal for a few years. I've been journaling for a few years. And I brought along my journal. It's very personal. And if you want to know what makes me tick, if you want to know some of my uh, deepest uh, secrets, all you have to do is uh, read my journal. And uh, if you want to take a peek at my journal, not a chance, okay? No, 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 not going to do that. But the Bible actually contains the journal of a very powerful king who learned lessons the hard way. Uh, thousands of years ago, King uh, Solomon uh, wrote down his thoughts in a journal that we call Ecclesiastes. Solomon had great wealth, great power, great wisdom. And, but near the end of his life, he got real transparent. He got real honest as, as an old man. And he made himself vulnerable in his journal. And he talks about his biggest mistakes. And so over the next five weeks, we're going to take a sneak peek at his journal. And I think you're going to be surprised at how practical and uh, preventative And relevant his writings are for us today. We're going to discover some ways to get life right. We're going to discover some ways to get it wrong. We're going to hear Solomon say, don't do what I did. Don't screw up your your life. Don't live like God doesn't exist. Don't pursue things that don't really matter. And please, 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 I beg you, don't wreck your life the way that I did. And he's going to give us five easy ways uh, to do it. I've heard it said, uh, I've heard it put this way, that stupid means you make the same mistakes over and over. Smart means you learn from your mistakes. Genius means you learn from other people's mistakes. And that's what we're going to do in this series. We're going to learn from somebody else's mistakes. And if you want to follow along, you can open your Bible up, turn on your phone, and go to the book of Ecclesiastes 
in the Old Testament. Now, if Ecclesiastes were a novel, I would, I would never suggest doing this, okay? But since it's a journal, I think it's okay to do this. What we're going to do, we're just going to skip to the end, all right? We're going to go right to the end because it sheds light on the rest of, of, of the journal, the rest of his book. Solomon gets to the end of his life and he realizes that he's got some big regrets. He's got some big mistakes. And here's what he says at the end of the book. This is in chapter 12, verse 13. He says, now all has been heard. Here's the conclusion of the matter. In other words, you know, I've told you all about my mistakes. Here's what it comes down to. Here's what life is about. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the duty of every human being. He says it all boils down to having a relationship with your creator, walking with your creator, respecting his authority, embracing the truth of his wisdom, letting his love embrace you, getting to know him as your father, letting him guide your steps, finding yourself in him. Solomon says, don't do what I did. Don't run the other direction away from God. Don't wreck your life. Walk with God and reach your potential. Walk with God and find real freedom. Walk with God and find satisfaction and happiness all the days of your life. Now that verse is just filled with great wisdom, but his life is just filled with such regret. Actually, though, Solomon started out with great promise. You can read about his life in the Old Testament, Old Testament book of 1 Kings. He's born into a royal family. He's the second son of David and Bathsheba. He has smarts, he's got charisma, he's good looking, he loves God, he pursues God. And there comes a day when his father, King David, hands off the kingdom. He gives him the keys to the kingdom. And Solomon becomes king. And then God comes to him in a dream. And God says, ask me for anything you want and I will give it to you. And Solomon gets humble. And he says, God, I'm feeling overwhelmed. If I'm going to lead these people, if I'm going to govern them, here's what I'm going to need. I am going to need wisdom. I just need wisdom. And Solomon's request, it, surprised, it impressed God so much. God not only gave him wisdom and made him the wisest man in all the world. God gave him wealth, great wealth, and other good things that would come into his life. And Solomon begins to live in that blessing and wisdom. He centers his life around his relationship with God. He meets a young woman. They fall in love. They get married. And he writes a story about love called the Song of Solomon in the Old Testament. Solomon also writes down many of the teachings, much of the wisdom God gave him in another book in the Old Testament called Proverbs. Even people who don't believe in God, many of them can quote from the Proverbs because they recognize the wisdom in those writings. But you know what? It's one thing to have wisdom. It's another thing to apply it. It's possible to quote great principles about life, but not actually live them out. It's kind of like exercise. We can find ourselves talking, talking so much about exercise, we feel like we exercised and we actually haven't done it. And as somebody who teaches regularly, who stands up in front of other people and, and talks, I can tell you that you know, you can talk a good game, and you can say all the, all the right things, and you can still wreck your own life. And that's what Solomon did. His strength becomes his weakness. Instead of trusting in the wisdom that God gave him, he begins to trust his own. And that's when his life begins to just spiral out of control. Solomon begins his journal by telling us what it looks like when somebody stops pursuing God, and they begin to live by their own wisdom. Look at how he begins in chapter 1, 
verse 1. These are the words of the teacher, King David's son, Solomon, who ruled in Jerusalem. Everything is meaningless, says the teacher. Completely meaningless. And that's uh, chapter 1, verse 1. Isn't that an encouraging and just an exciting way to begin a book? You need a motivational speaker, you know, for your next corporate event. You need an entertainer, you know, at your kid's birthday party. Here you go. Bring in, bring in Solomon. He just likes this word uh, meaningless. It's the word havel in the Hebrew. He likes this word so much, he uses it 38 times in his journal of Ecclesiastes. Because when Solomon looks back on his life, Here's what he says, apart from God, life is futile. It's chasing the wind. It's a vapor. It's a, it's a fog. It's meaningless. You ever, you ever felt that way? You ever find yourself feeling that way? That's why I brought this uh, toy up here because I think this toy, I think it really illustrates Solomon's life. Many of us have seen this toy. You know, maybe you have one of these. Maybe you went out and got one of these for your child and, and you know, they play with this toy and it comes with all these different kinds of shapes. And they try to figure out where the, yeah, <laughs> where the shape fits and, and what hole it fits into. And kids play with this, right? And they get frustrated. And they learn how to throw a tantrum. At a very, they learn how to swear at a very uh, young uh, age. But we get this for our kid because we want to teach them how to find the right shape and put it in the right hole. Some of you know that I lived in Kentucky for nine years before we moved um, up here, and it's interesting to note that uh, this is the ACT in uh, Kentucky. Um, they just give it to kids, say, you know, do your best. <laughs> I don't know. No, but, but really, this is what Solomon tries to, to tell us. This is what life is like. God has put this God-shaped hole in our heart, in our soul, and he's the only one that can fill it. And Solomon says, I've tried cramming a square peg into a round hole, and it doesn't fit. And Solomon has learned a collection of things that he's tried to force into that God-shaped hole, and it doesn't work, and it wrecked his life. And we're going to talk about several of those things over the next five weeks. Here's the first one. You want to wreck your life? Here's an easy way to do it. Let pleasure guide you. Decide if it feels good, I'm going to do it. Decide to eat, drink, uh, spend, party, uh, hook up. I mean, whatever it is that, that, that would bring you pleasure because, because life is all about pleasure and you're going to let yourself just be guided by pleasure. That's a great way to ruin your life. That's what Solomon did. Instead of seeking after God like he had done much of his life, he begins to pursue pleasure. Look at what he writes in his journal about all the different things that he tries. In chapter 2, verse 1, he says, I said to myself, come on, let's try pleasure. Let's look for the good things in life. But I found that this too was meaningless. Now we know from 1 Kings chapter 11 that Solomon pursued pleasure through women. Women. Yeah, lots of women. He loved the ladies. He, he met a young girl, fell in love, got married. They had a, a great relationship. But at some point in his marriage, he began to stray. And he began to love other, other women. He found pleasure and companionship and also built political alliances with neighboring nations by marrying just about anybody that he could find. Here's what it says in 1 Kings uh, chapter 11. Now, King Solomon loved many foreign women. Besides Pharaoh's daughter, he married, married women from Moab, Ammon, Edom, Sidon, and from among the Hittites. The Lord had clearly instructed the people of Israel, you must not marry them because they will turn your hearts to their gods. Yet Solomon insisted on loving them anyway. He had uh, uh, 700 uh, wives. He goes a little far with this of royal birth and 300 concubines 
And in fact, they did turn his heart away from the Lord. In Solomon's old age, they turned his heart to worship other gods instead of being completely faithful to the Lord, his God, as his father David had uh, been. And so he had uh, a thousand women uh, all together. Uh, he's a little bit out of control. And uh, he, he pursues every fantasy that he can imagine. But it didn't bring him any meaning or significance or purpose in his life. Solomon says, I pursued hundreds of relationships. And you know what? It didn't fill that void in my life. Look at what he says in Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 9. Enjoy life with your wife, singular, whom you love. In other words, do relationships God's way. He continues in verse 2 of chapter 2. So I said, laughter is silly. What good does it do to seek pleasure? And so he tries to pursue pleasure through laughter. Now, I like to laugh. I like to be around people who make me laugh. I like to watch things that make me laugh. I like to watch comedies on television and funny YouTube videos with my, with my kids and, and with my wife. And you know what? We probably should uh, laugh more than we, we, we do. Laughter is good. There's a big upside to laughter. But sometimes laughter can cover up emptiness. Sometimes the class clown or the life of the party is actually someone starving for attention or lonely or afraid. And it's a defense mechanism. Even the pleasure of laughter can mask pain and emptiness. Maybe you've heard of an actor. His name is Shia LaBeouf. He started out as a comedian, a stand-up comedian. Then he became an actor in movies like The Transformers and many other movies. In an interview with Parade Magazine that he gave, here's what he said. Sometimes I feel like I'm living a meaningless life. I know I'm one of the luckiest dudes in America right now. I have a great house. My parents don't have to work. I've got money. I'm famous. But it could all change, man. It could go away. You never know. I don't, I don't handle fame well. Most actors on most days don't think they're worthy. I have no idea where this insecurity comes from. Look at this. But it's a God-sized hole. If I knew, I'd fill it. And I'd be on my uh, way. Solomon has been there, done that. I tried laughter, but it was an act. It will not fill that void in your life. And then Solomon continues in verse 3. He tells us about something else that he, he tries. After much thought, I decided to cheer myself with wine. And while still seeking wisdom, I clutched at foolishness. In this way, I tried to experience the only happiness most people find during their brief life in this world. Now, when he says wine, this is not like a little wine-tasting party with Wisconsin cheese. No, no, no. This is Solomon deciding to get hammered. He's got this palace. He's got these big screen TVs. He invites everybody over for Monday Night Football. And in the words of Bocephus, he's got the uh, pig in the ground, the beer on ice, and all my rowdy friends coming over tonight. He tries the party life. Not just Monday. He gets plastered every single day. And it doesn't satisfy him. The party life doesn't fill the hole in his heart. And we've got groups, support groups, recovery groups here at River Glen filled with people who are honest, honest enough to say it only brought deeper frustration and addiction into my life. Solomon goes on. Look at what he says in verse 4. He gets into construction and home improvement. I also tried to find meaning by building huge homes for myself and by planting beautiful vineyards. I made gardens and parks, filling them with all kinds of fruit trees. I built reservoirs to collect the water to irrigate my many flourishing groves. He turned on HGTV and he looked at all the beautiful homes by Chip and Joanna on Fixer Upper 
or, or Jonathan and Drew on Property Brothers. And you're probably wondering, why does Ben know so much about HGTV? It's because my wife has it on 24-7. I'd rather watch ESPN, but we watch HGTV. And something I've noticed on their shows, uh, you know, they're always, Joanna comes in, she always knocked down that wall. You know, we're going to open this up and we're going to build more. And we're going to renovate more. And that's what Solomon does. He says, i got to have that open concept. You know, i got to have those countertops. i got to have that view. Let's build a reservoir that flows into a 20-person hot tub that over, overlooks my vineyards. Solomon becomes obsessed with these comforts of life. And real estate projects become like a small G God in his life. It's interesting to me, it took him seven years to build God's house, to build a temple for God. And then it took him 13 years to build his own palace. Maybe that indicates it took twice as long for him to build his own house. Maybe that indicates how his priorities got out of line. And then he tries several more things. He continues in verse, verse 7, I also own large herds and flocks more than any other of the kings who had lived in Jerusalem before me. I collected great sums of silver and gold, the treasures of many kings and provinces. I hired wonderful singers, both men and women, and had many beautiful concubines. I had everything a man could desire. But he says, it just didn't fill the void. Some of you are going to recognize, those of you that are football fans, you're going to recognize number 21 here, Deion Sanders. He was known as... Uh, Prime time. He had a lot of natural talent, and if he played on your football team, you probably liked him. But some people didn't like his, his brashness and showmanship. He had this, he had this touchdown dance that he, would, that he would do in the end zone. But Dion had a very successful football career, and he began to see things differently. During his acceptance speech at the Hall of Fame induction ceremony, he broke down and he thanked his mom who worked multiple jobs to provide for the family. And he said, if your dream is all about you, there's something wrong with your dream. And he made some changes in his life. Uh, several years ago, Dion made a decision to uh, surrender his life to Jesus Christ and become a follower of Jesus. Here's what he writes in his autobiography. Everything I touched turned to gold. But inside I was broken and totally defeated. I remember sitting at the back of the practice field one afternoon away from everybody and tears were running down my face. I was saying to myself, this is meaningless. I'm so unhappy. We're winning every week and I'm playing great, but I'm not happy. I tried everything, parties, women, buying expensive jewelry and gadgets and nothing helped. There was no peace. I had everything the world has to offer, but no peace, no joy. Just emptiness inside. The Bible describes it in the first chapter of Ecclesiastes as chasing after the wind. And that's exactly what it was like. Dion says, Solomon was right. It doesn't fill the void. And then Solomon concludes in verse 9. So I became greater than all who had lived in Jerusalem before me. And my wisdom never failed me. Anything I wanted, I would take. I denied myself no pleasure I even found great pleasure in hard work, a reward for all my labors. But as I looked at everything I had worked so hard to accomplish, it was all so meaningless, like chasing the wind. There was nothing really worthwhile anywhere. Solomon says, trust me, I learned the hard way. You're not going to find happiness by letting pleasure drive you. It's chasing after the wind. It is meaningless. Now, I would say some of us in the room here probably would, would, would say we're pursuing 
some of the same things that Solomon pursued. Some of us in this room, you know, we're going down that road. Solomon went down of letting pleasure guide us. And eventually there, there will be some consequences. I want you to hear the story of a young man from our church named Trent. And I just admire uh, Trent having the courage to sit down with us and share his story so that you could hear it. Take a look. Hi, my name's Trent. I've been coming to River Glen for about four years now. As a kid, I grew up in the church. Uh, my family was very active in my childhood church, and it meant a lot to me. It was a place where I felt safe, a place where I made my first friends. About middle school was the first time that I started having a less than perfect perception of religion. My childhood church started dying. Less and less people were joining the church. More and more people were leaving the church. It was around this time that I also had my first exposure to mind-altering substances. As high school began, I started smoking weed and drinking. It was this time that I also started battling depression. So even though I started smoking and drinking and using drugs because of peer pressure, I continued to do so because I found it to be an escape from depression. This was also the time that my chronic back pain first started presenting itself. At first, doctors couldn't figure out what it was, and I didn't know if the pain that I was feeling was real or not for a long time. This was the point where my painkiller addiction really started to take off. I remember when I would take a painkiller, not only would it give me relief from my physical pain, but it would also give me mental relief too from my depression. It just made life not seem nearly as bad. So as I started college in Madison, I was left depressed, addicted to painkillers, and churchless. When I got there, I became very vindictive and very angry with God. Soon after, I stopped calling myself a Christian. I began to think that life was just meaningless. This led me to fail out of school, and I came back home morbidly depressed. When I got home, I picked up using painkillers more than ever. I vividly remember, at one point, going into the bathroom to use drugs and looking myself in the eye and just seeing the devil. Because of all the bad things that I had done, I truly believed I was a bad person at my core. How could God love a sinner, a thief, an addict? My inability to accept God's capacity for love is what led me to heroin. And heroin numbed everything. My body, my mind, my spirit. It made me not care about the meaninglessness of life. I knew that my heroin use wasn't sustainable. I was running out of money. My parents were finding out. The way I saw it, I had two options. Surrender to God go jump off a bridge. I went to sleep that night and I had a dream and in that dream I was standing in the room of the Last Supper and I just remembered Jesus looking me right in the eye and just seeing the pain that I had caused and in that dream I just fell to my knees and started sobbing uncontrollably. I woke up the next morning and God had opened my heart. I was ready to start trying again so I checked myself into rehab completed my program, and eventually one day, I walked into River Glen to 
to celebrate recovery. And it was in Celebrate Recovery that I began to learn that I'm not the exception to God's love. There are no exceptions to God's love. It took connecting with fellow Christians and a lot of fellowship to get to the point where I truly started to understand what God's love meant. I've been redeemed. I'm a new man. God has given me a second chance, one that I never thought I'd get. Today I feel joy, love, peace, things that I never thought possible when I was using. I no longer consider myself the exception to God's love, but rather exceptional through Christ. On the cross, Jesus said, it is finished. For me, my struggles with drugs, my struggles with stealing, my struggles with lying, today in me, those are finished, and only by the grace of Christ. Yeah. That's brave, isn't it? I really appreciate Trent uh, opening up and, and sharing his, his story uh, with us because uh, drug abuse is just skyrocketing and it is wrecking lives right here in Waukesha, Milwaukee and beyond. And that's why I'm just so grateful Trent found his way back to God and I'm, I'm grateful that he found help and support on Monday nights right here at Celebrate Recovery. If you're struggling with any habit or hang up or hurt, in your life. God's doing some amazing things at Celebrate Recovery on Monday nights. And I want to encourage you to check it out. Tomorrow night, they're having an open house. They do this a few times a year. I've been to these. They're great events. They have free meal, free dinner, inspiring music. Andy Averill is going to share the message. And everybody's invited. Great opportunity to check out uh, CR or just come and just, just celebrate. Just hang out and just celebrate what God is doing through this uh, ministry. So some of us here realize we're pursuing some of the same things that Solomon pursued, but others of us, I think, feel differently. Maybe you would say, I don't really feel like I'm letting pleasure guide me. I don't have 700 wives. I, I don't spend 13 years renovating my house. I don't have that kind of, of ability or budget. I don't, I don't throw wild parties. I, uh, I, go to bed, I go to bed by 10, and uh, I live a boring life. Well, maybe that's true, but I've noticed a couple danger signs that reveal how you and I struggle with pleasure. Here's the first danger sign that we let pleasure be our North Star. You often use this phrase, if only. You think about what you don't have, and you say things like, you know, if only I had a little more money, then I would be happy. If only I got married. If only I had kids. If only I got the promotion. If only I had a different job. If only I lost 20 pounds. If only I owned a house. If only I was better looking, richer, famous. If only, if only, if only. It's almost like back in the Garden of Eden. And the serpent slithers into your life and says, oh yeah, God's given you all these trees and, and a, an abundance of fruit. But that one fruit, that one fruit is the key to your happiness. If you could just have it, but God's being stingy. But you, you know you want it. Your appetites are just screaming out for it. And so we chase after that one fruit, but it will not satisfy. They've done a lot of research on happiness in recent years. And they've discovered 
that th- none of these things bring lasting happiness. This, the research, it backs up Solomon. Studies show circumstances count for only 10% of our happiness. Circumstances have the power to make you happy for a little while. You get a promotion, you get an A, you make the team, you get a new car. You feel some pleasure, but it is, it is temporary. It's like a gallon of milk in your refrigerator that's marked April 10th. Pleasure has an extremely short shelf life. And when, and when you live with an if-only mindset, you're allowing pleasure to guide you. Here's another danger sign that reveals how we struggle with pleasure. We think in these terms, when blank happens, then I'll have a life. Then I'll be able to enjoy my life. When I get that uh, degree, then I'll, then I'll be happy. When I get that promotion, then I'll be able to enjoy my life. When I find that perfect someone, then I'll be happy. But here's what research tells us. Unhappy single people who get married are unhappy married people. Happy single people who get married are happy married people. Research shows very little difference in the happiness of those who are single and those who get married. So maybe happiness comes from someplace else. And research has discovered that when we have this mindset, you know, when blank happens, you know, I'll be happy. Uh, you know, when I get a, a, a promotion or a degree or some experience, as soon as you get it, that blank doesn't go away. Our mind just transfers this, this statement and it just, just, we find another fill-in-the-blank thing. And there's always another promotion or project or experience. Dr. Henry Cloud is a, is a psychologist who's written a, a book called The Law of Happiness. And he makes some, I think, profound statements about happiness and pleasure for all of us to think about. Here's what he says. He says, when we are pursuing the things that don't have the power to make us happy, look at this, we're ignoring the ones that do. He says happy people don't chase happiness. Happy people chase God and happiness catches them, which is exactly what Solomon said at the end of Ecclesiastes. Don't pursue happiness. Pursue God and happiness and pleasure will follow. So let me ask you to do a little personal inventory. I want you to really think about this next question. What are you ignoring that could bring you happiness while you pursue something that never will. You know, maybe for some of you, uh, it's the person that you're married to. You are so focused on, you know, what might have been with your high school flame that you're friends with, on, friends with on Facebook that you have stopped investing in your spouse that God has given you. Or maybe for some of us, it's our kids. Maybe, maybe you're so consumed with making your kid the next Aaron Rodgers that you forget to enjoy them now. Maybe for some of us, it's our job. Maybe you're so consumed by what you hate about your job rather than being grateful that you have a job. Maybe for some of us, it's just the simple pleasures of life. You're so consumed with social media or becoming a scratch golfer or trying to keep up with the right fashion or keep up with the neighbors that you're missing the joy of just sitting down and having dinner with your family, or watching the sunset, or sitting in silence and counting your blessings. What about God? Maybe we ignore God while we pursue pleasure. You put him up on the shelf until Christmas, or until Easter, or until the next time you're in a tight spot while you pursue pleasure. But what if pleasure, what if happiness is found 
in him. That's what Solomon says. Walk with God now. Enjoy his presence now. Don't chase the wind. Chase after, after, after God. Chase him every day. Let him lead your life. And your search for happiness will be over. Would you bow your heads together uh, with me for a moment of, of reflection before I pray? Somebody said that deep within our hearts is a godlike shape, a perfect fit for Jesus in every way. No heart is too big, no heart is too small. Jesus is the answer, He fits them all. And maybe today you're tired of running and you know you need Jesus. And I want you to know that He is there. He is the one who will always be there. And He's the only one who can ultimately satisfy your soul. Maybe God is nudging some of you to take your next step toward Jesus. You've chased other things and now you want to chase after Him. You want to follow Jesus as the leader and forgiver of your life. If you decide to take that step, let us know so that we can celebrate and encourage you. Last weekend of this series, we're going to celebrate baptisms. Baptism is not only something Jesus commanded us to do, it helps us take a step closer to Jesus and we experience greater fulfillment and satisfaction in Him. Just fill out the baptism card in the seat back in front of you. You can put that in the offering bag or take it to the connect wall after the service. I'm going to pray for us and then we're going to pass communion, which is another opportunity to take a step toward Jesus. Our communion is open to anybody who says yes to him. The bread represents Christ's body. The juice represents his blood. Let's use this as a time for us to, to slow down and, and reflect on Jesus. And take in your next step to find happiness and satisfaction in him. Let me pray for us. God, in one way or another, we've all chased the wind. And we have found that it leaves us empty and, and meaningless and broken. And I want to thank you for being patient with us. Thank you for always being there. Thank you for the wisdom of Solomon that helps us to prevent wrecking our own life. I pray that you'll keep your hand on this series and on our lives. And thank you most of all for Jesus who is living water that satisfies the deepest needs in our soul. God, right now as we share communion together. We want to remember the way that you saved us by allowing your son to die on a cross for us. As we take the bread and the juice, we remember exactly what you gave for us so that we could be free now and forever. We thank you and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.